Welcome once again to the Sheena Pod. I'm Jane and I'm here with Callie. And today we are talking about Insomnia, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. All the Nolan fanboys are going to turn out for this one. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually, I think, his least well-known film, so probably not. But... So in research for this, I actually had to watch some YouTube videos uh, from an account called Nolan Fans. Oh my god. With a a Z. (laughs) (laughs) I have never seen Memento because I kind of always felt eye roll about it. It's all, I've seen it before. It's fine. It's, like, not a bad movie. But like every other Nolan film, it thinks it's a lot smarter than it actually is. That's, like, my main problem with, like, Nolan is all of his films, except not really this one, but and maybe that's because it's, a, like, an adaptation of a already, like, of a film that already existed. But, like, every other film of his, it seems like it always thinks it's a lot smarter than it is. Like, Interstellar and even Inception and, like, even the Batman films, I think, like, they just, like, he just thinks he's, like, making very a very strong statement about the world, and only he can bring his artistic vision, and it's just like, I don't know, dude. I don't know, dude, you make fucking Batman movies. <laughs> like, chill out a little bit. <laughs> I, I really like his Batman movies. Like, I feel like those are the only Batman films that I've ever cared about. Because they're, like, kind of cool, like, cinematography. Because it looks like a Michael Mann film, essentially. Yeah, no, like, once I, once I like, watched Heat, like, The Dark Knight became a lot less impressive. Because I was like, man, he's lifting so much from this stylistically. <laughs> Not that, I mean, I still think it's a good movie. I mean, Heath Ledger's performance is probably the best thing in it. But my main problem with The Dark Knight, and I, like, even wrote, like, kind of a paper about I wrote a lot of paper papers in film undergrad about Nolan films for some I'm just now realizing this but I did I wrote I wrote one about the the Dark Knight interrogation scene and how like the Dark Knight was like a metaphor for like the war on terror and like Batman's supposed to be like the US government and like uh, like the whole subplot about like him Batman having this giant surveillance system you know it's like it's messed up but because it's for the because he used it for the good that justifies it and like it's it's got a kind of like a conservative view yes. on you know that sort of thing in it with that kind of bothers me a little bit but so it's a good it's good movie I like the Prestige Prestige is really good with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale where they're magicians that's a good movie I love that movie when I was a kid and and I'm sure I still would I just haven't seen it in a long time. And, I mean, like, Inception's good. Killian Murphy, like... The top? What does the top mean, though? Oh, my God. Is it all a dream? (laughs) (laughs) I think that that was... I mean, that came out when I was in high school, I think. Is that right? Does that feel right? Yeah. I mean, I was in high school when it came out, so probably you would have... You're, like, a couple years younger than me. 
Yeah. It's my birthday in a couple days. Actually, you might, we might be dropping this on my birthday, so. Uh, happy birthday, James. 28th birthday to Are me. Are you going to come see your, your, like, free movie? Well, I have to work that day, so probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I guess... Those are the uh, other Nolan films, but this one, I thought it was, I thought it was good. You were just asking me, like, before we started how, how I genuinely felt about it, and, like, I liked it, but I, I think the only thing where I was like, huh, you know, is because I feel like it was built up, and this is all just, like, previewing information and, Mm -hmm. like, what people have told me about this film, so it's not really the film's fault, (laughs) I just felt like I thought it was going to be about a serial killer, and I thought Robin Williams was going to be, like, this, like, mastermind with, like, an M.O. or something, and it just ended up being a lot more straightforward than that, and I think that's what makes it such an interesting movie, I guess, is that, like, maybe you would go into it thinking it's going to be all about, like, trailing the killer and stuff, when really, like, pretty much as soon as the killer is introduced he's like hey what's up i killed her and then like yeah it's, it's, it's really more like, about like him manipulating uh, al pacino's character yeah it's more about him like manipulating al pacino's character to like be like see you know because because you killed your partner so and you're trying to hide this and i'm hiding that i like murdered this this girl so really we're the same and you know so you have just as much stake in covering this up as i do and like i'll and like and I, I, the first paper I, I wrote for film class was over this film. And I remember, and I wrote it for my film noir class. And this is kind of like a neo-noir film. And it's really, the reason why it's a noir film is mostly because it's like Al Pacino plays this like cop who's like, you know, he's like, has this spotless record. He's like, this like soup got like awards and stuff. But it turns out that like internal affairs have like, are trying to bring him down and, you know, he doesn't want, and he's worried that if he goes down, it's going to mean that, like, all of his cases will, all those people will go back out on the street. And his partner is, it, like, all ready to, like, be like, hey, you know, like, I'm, I have a family to think about. I'm, you know, I'm going to have a, I'm going to plea with the, with the judge here. And she's like, well, we can't do that. And at some point when they're, when they're trailing the killer, it's really foggy out. And Al Pacino shoots and kills his partner. And he's not sure whether he had meant to do it or not. And so it's like, it's really more about like his internal struggle with like the fact that he just murdered his friend and like Robin Williams's character is using that to his advantage. And that's really more of the, more than, than them trying to solve the case. It's more about like, that internal struggle and like the way that Robin Williams is manipulating the situation and, you know, and there's still like chase scenes and like, there's a final, you know, they have a final fight at the end of the movie, but it's really more of like a psychological type thing. Yeah. It was a lot more mental than I thought it was going to be. And like, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Like, I feel like Pacino was just taking us through slowly all of the physical symptoms of, like, anxiety. (laughs) Because, like, in this movie, he just can't fucking sleep. And so that's, like, affecting his memory and his perception of what's going on. And even his perception of himself, which I think is really interesting. He's, like, an unreliable narrator in this. He doesn't really even know if he meant to, to shoot his partner. Which, I mean, like, to me that seemed very, like, straightforward. Like, Robin Williams had just shot one of the other cops, so he was wounded, and they're, so they know that he's, like, armed, 
and they're chasing him, and it's so foggy, and he doesn't know where anybody else is, so then when he sees somebody, it's just kind of like, I don't know, I feel like it reminded me of when, in Serpico, he's like, he's just shooting me without looking, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> without a brain in your Yeah, I did, I did think it was interesting that he was on the other end of, of that, you know, where he's, like, talking about how much he hates internal affairs and everything in this film coming off of Serpico, where he is internally, where he's the, like, embodiment of internal affairs. (laughs) I thought that was an interesting, like, contrast. (laughs) Yeah, and, well, I don't know. I think, like, knowing that Nolan is such a a Michael Mann, like, fanboy, and that he loves Heat so much, I just think it's, like, incredibly interesting that he chose Pacino to play a cop who, like, befriends like the person that he's chasing like the parallels between he and this movie are kind of i don't know they're they're similar in a way yeah, they're, too. they're certainly there but i think i think it's a little bit different in this film because like at least in heat i think it's very clear that pacino's character like has like a real respect for robert de niro even if he's like trying to take him down where in this film i think he like absolutely does not want to have a connection with Robin Williams at all and is like actively trying to like avoid any sort of parallels between the two of them and like that's part of the reason why he's like so racked with like not being able to sleep and stuff because I think he knows deep down inside they're like their situations are a lot more similar than what he w- would want it to be and so I, th- I think that that's like that's the a little bit of a different take on the situation but I do I do see that Nolan probably watched Heat, and when he took on this project, he probably, that's why he probably wanted Al Pacino. He was like, I gotta have Pacino in this role, because, you know, like, he was so good. He was, like, so good in Heat that I, you know, and this is, it makes a lot of sense. And I didn't even think about that before you brought it up, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, like, the way they filmed so much of this movie, it did almost remind me of, of a mirror. Like, the way Pacino and Robin Williams are so close, like, in all of their scenes, like, it almost feels like their noses are touching, and it, like, mm-hmm. looks like somebody's reflection, like, because their their body language is very similar and stuff. Like, they're both very, like, hunched over people and, like, seem like... Well, Robin Williams, the way he keeps relating to Pacino's character in this, the detective, is that they both can't sleep. And it's, like, very, like, strange that he knows that. Like, how the fuck does he know all this sh- I don't know how he knows all this shit about Pacino. I think I think it's because he's, like, that. that that's, like, he basically, he knows it because since he is going through all of this, he's just, like, and he saw that Al Pacino killed his partner, he's just assuming that he's going through the same thing. And... It turns out that he knows, and he's right about it. <laughs> but, I <laughs> mean, also, that's I just think, such like, a gamble to me, I, I, to be like, can't sleep, huh? What is that, three days? It's like, what if he was like, nah, I've been sleeping like a baby, actually. Like, I got blackout shades and some Xanax, and it's been great. It's like, then you're just, like, completely <laughs> out of cards because the dude that you're trying to manipulate doesn't have, like... He's not hallucinating anymore because of sleep deprivation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it does. Yeah, it does fall apart if he if he if he really wasn't having like sleep problems. That I I yeah, that does kind of fall apart. But I think what's interesting about Robin Williams' character is I think he like I think he really wants Al Pacino to like him. 
like in a weird perverse way i think like he was like and he talks about how he like wanted to be a cop and like failed the police academy and like and that's why he went into like writing these like detective novels and stuff and i think he like that's why he went like i think that's why he spends so much time like trying to like make Pacino see that they're the same person, even though he like, even though he has ulterior motives, like he knows that he needs Al Pacino to, to stay quiet so that it, they can concoct an alternative motive. But I do think like deep down also, he really, really wants like that kind of respected admiration that Al Pacino has as like this like respected detective. Yeah. I think they did a really good job of setting up, the character like even though it wasn't what i was expecting of like somebody who's already committed several crimes and and who's to say he hasn't he might just be lying or something like oh i didn't mean to kill her it's like he could have killed people and just not ever been caught or something but like the setup of like like every detail that he lets out is like oh okay yeah that's serial killer shit like, even though he's only killed one person as far as this movie is concerned, it's, like, obsession with law enforcement and then failure to, like, get in, and, like, obsession with murders. Like, whenever Pacino is, like, bringing up different investigations, he's, like, hanging on every thread. And then, like, whenever they say that he, he might need to go to the station, he's like, oh, the station? Like, he's, like, excited to just go to the police station. So it's, like, knowing things about like serial killers like they're usually very interested in the police work and like what the police know about them and stuff so I felt like that was all really well done in like building up that he is like a bad person who probably would go on to do more crime if uh, if Pacino's not able to pin this on him which is kind of the whole like thing at stake (laughs) do you think like who was that what was the name of that guy I only watched um, a couple episodes of. Did you see Mindhunter, the Netflix yeah, series about the? Yeah, I love Mindhunter. Yeah, I liked. I I don't know why I didn't continue watching it, but um, the first guy that they talked to, a really big guy with the mustache. What was his name? The killer. Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. Yeah, who was like friends with all the cops and stuff, and they were all confused when it like turned out that he was a murderer and he was all you know he was like very soft-spoken and like you know just really into like police stuff and so like he reminded me a little robin williams character reminded me a lot of him actually after like putting it together it's like they they kind of had similar personalities in a weird creepy way (laughs) i think like what's interesting about robin williams in this movie and like the fact that he's playing against type I think he still is employing, like, the things that we love about Robin Williams, but the way it's coming across just hits so differently. Like, he has the same kind of, like, nurturing vibe that he does in Goodwill Hunting in this movie towards Pacino. It almost feels like he, like, wants to hug him, and, like, he's constantly, like, extending himself towards Pacino, but it has, like, such a creepy vibe to it, even though it's almost the same, like, expression because of, like, how he is and how he, like, looks at Pacino and stuff. It's, like, interesting how he was able to turn that into, like, this, like, creepy, like, loner. Like, especially whenever you think about him befriending, like, a teenage girl and what that looks like. Because he has, like, a almost, like, fatherly vibe to him, but still, like, a... Like, if he was your friend's dad, 
you would feel weird about him giving you a ride home, you know? Right. Yeah, and like there's like all those like all those details about him like buying her like expensive dresses and like necklaces and stuff and it's just like it's like what are you doing dude (laughs) yeah yeah he is definitely like grooming her but acting like he did absolutely nothing wrong and that was all completely normal to just have like a younger friend and to like be their sugar and like the thing is like there obviously was a big amount i think a big difference in Pacino's and and Pacino killing his partner and the way that Robin Williams murdered this girl because yeah there is a big plausible deniability of Pacino like whether or not he shot like his partner on purpose and also he was just like one shot you know and took two seconds it wasn't like with Robin Williams murder like and as Al Pacino pointed out he like literally was like beating this girl for like between 20 to 30 minutes (laughs) you know that's not like a spur of the moment like death accidental death that is like you are continually to like yeah you don't accidentally beat somebody to death I mean like yeah there are times I mean like I guess there are like those like sometimes you like hit somebody once just right in the temple or like they fall and they hit their head or something but that's not what happened she was like bleeding beaten to a like a pulp you know so knowing that yeah. and then the, the the way he talks about it the entire time as if like well I mean like I didn't mean to I don't know I it actually made me think of and this is kind of a spoiler I guess but that is a big part of promising young woman is that like people will delude themselves into think like justification of what they've done and like it, it's just kind of dependent on like whether or not people will enable them in this t- thinking and it kind of that's really all Robin Williams would need in this situation is for one person Pacino to enable him in this so it's almost does feel like he's like trying to be like hey bro like we're not that different like you were saying like can't you just mm-hmm. do do me this solid I don't know I wanted to ask do you feel like Pacino meant to kill his partner like what what how did you feel about that you know I I think the first time I watched it I didn't think so this time I, I still like I think I don't think he meant to shoot him initially but I do think he felt relief when he died and that scared him and that's why i think like why he feels good because i that's why i think he he isn't sure whether he meant to or not because i do think he like felt relief when his partner died that he wouldn't have to like deal with that internal affairs investigation anymore so i like i I think it's more complicated i don't think he i don't think he meant to shoot him though i do i do think he like wasn't actually able to see who it was in the shadows Right. I, I think, like, your distinction there is really a good point. Because, like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I don't think he meant to shoot him. Like, I think it was, like, heat of the moment. Like, cops fucking shoot when they're scared. We know this. Like, and he was really scared. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think, based on the repartee, like, between them, I think he really loved his partner and the fact that it tears him apart kind of throughout the whole movie whereas like Robin Williams doesn't seem to be like I feel like that's you know the big difference between them is that like Robin Williams doesn't seem to have guilt or show remorse for what he's done whereas like 
even if Pacino, like, for a split second did see that it was part, it was his partner, like, as his finger, I don't know, like, the amount of, like, remorse he feels and how it's tearing him apart kind of shows that he's a better person. But I think what's interesting is that, like, if you truly did not mean to, to hurt somebody, then you should be able to go and tell people about it. And, like, both Robin Williams and Pacino, like, wait and make modifications to the death before they tell people. And I think that that's, like, an interesting parallel. I mean, like, obviously Robin Williams, his character does a lot more. Like, he, like, cleans her and stuff. But, like, Pacino does wait, switch guns, like, do all of this stuff to, like, make it, to cover up, like, how, the like, you know, the true nature of his partner's death. So, like... I don't know. There's also just some guiltiness there. I think. Well, no, that is a charge separately. Is like. Uh, yeah, he'd be in, in like in, in, interfering with an investigation. I think it's like something about handling of a corpse or something too. Like you're not supposed to like fuck around with like dead bodies like before. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're not supposed to like take stuff away from them or plant stuff on them. <laughs> like I don't know. I'm a. I'm not yeah. a lawyer, but it feels like. I've I've heard like true crime podcasts where like accomplices were like, well, I didn't kill her, and it's like, well, you still like helped move the body, and that's something, or like it's would probably like go along the lines of like tampering with evidence or whatever that yeah. charge would be. Exactly. So I mean, like I definitely understand why his character feels bad and what's interesting is like his motivations in this movie are so understandable and that's why like you never really like hate Pacino or anything even though he's like not a great guy in this movie he's obviously not a upstanding cop because he's pretty much admitting to like planting evidence on people or or skewing things in in different investigations to ensure a conviction because we all know that cops are always right, and uh, right. innocent people are yeah, never you know, put like in, in prison. In, in his, yeah, in his heart, he was like, yeah, you know, I absolutely, he's like, I know, I know a fucking, I know a fucking uh, child rapist when I see one, and so, like, just because, like, I had to ensure that the right evidence was there so that this guy did, because I knew. I hundred percent knew, you know that 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 like you know it's like, and of course you know you being like him being the protagonist, while you're watching him talk about that you're like oh yeah of course of course but you know he but you know he's an expert he knows all this stuff of course he would know that this guy really did this stuff, and then you think about it later and you'd be like no that's still fucked up that he planted evidence <laughs> that on someone <laughs> like yeah like you know it makes sense you know he's like he just doesn't want all this shit to come out he knows that convictions will be overturned (laughs) well yeah it's like cops don't seem to want to do the actual work of like finding meaningful evidence as you were saying that he his character is very like i know a killer when i see one like i know a criminal when i see one like and then later not being able to dissect his own feelings about what happened. I thought that that was like interesting because it's like clearly you know nothing. <laughs> like you're just yeah. kind of like no, it's very interesting. an idiot. And I think that that's like fascinating that now we have t- 
two of the three Pacino serial killer movies, he's just not really that great of a cop. Yeah, yeah, no, like, like, and the thing is, even with Cruising, there's, like, every cop that he's played, um, and, like, besides Serpico, every cop that he's played in, like, Cruising, Heat, um, See a Love, this film... There all there's always like some sort of like moral ambiguity there with these characters. Like he's never played. It's not like he's pl- like playing. You know, like the only other police movie that he's been in where he wasn't a cop and the cop was 100 percent correct all the time was Dick Tracy. <laughs> you know, but you know, like it's not like he's ever played a cop where he's like the superhero cop or whatever where he's always yeah. Lying. He don't you know, do cop propaganda. He's always yeah. He's always playing a cop that's like clearly kind of shitty <laughs> on some level because like in cruising you know like yeah he like does like he gets it done but like there's always that you know like the way it ends you're like you're not sure if he's now a killer or whatever you know it's like there's still even a more like moral ambiguity in that film too so it's like yeah at least so far he's never played a cop that it's like you're just like this guy's on the up and up <laughs> But other than Sea of Love, I feel like they've all been, like, through an interesting lens of, like, who that person is, and it's not just that they're, they're like, a cop, and he's, like, such a great dude, like, and he's all about his family, or some, like, boring shit like that. It's, like, a very, like, nuanced character, and it always has to deal with morality and, like, all of these bigger issues than just kind of being, like, red, white, and blue, like fuck yeah. yeah, like, get in the patrol car, bro. Like, I don't know. I feel like there are movies yeah. where it's like, oh, you're really not... Like, we talked about Stuber. I, I can't remember which episode that was, but, like, that movie is supposed to be, like, a fun romp, and the whole time I was like, this movie's full of police brutality. Like, what the fuck is going on? But, <laughs> but the movie, like, the tone of it is like, ha 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 police get to do whatever they want and like especially yeah. in this climate it's like that's not ha 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 right now so the fact yeah, that Pacino's like, I mean, never you... done that I just I just love him for that yeah I was gonna compare like Serpico to like another like a, a contemporary film at that time that was like the exact opposite of what Serpico was trying like the message of Serpico and that was a dirt Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry which is basically like where he spends the whole movie basically he's like it's like the archetype of like he's a cop that doesn't play by the rules loose can't cop he's like all he does is like police brutality shit he like it's just a very it's a very like police should be able to do whatever the fuck they want type of movie and it's like the polar opposite of serpico and the thing is i even think the i like the first dirty hair movie i think it's a good movie as a movie but like it's politics are actually honestly very fucked up if you stop and think about it for a second <laughs> i'm i'm always a, a more of a fan that uh, of films that take a more nuanced look at police work instead of the like the standard police are always good and you should always support the blue lives because they can't do anything wrong ever which is you know that's the opposite end of that spectrum <laughs> <laughs> anti yeah once again we want to reiterate that this podcast is anti-murder we're not uh, fans of murder on the cheetah pod we don't so, like uh, it we just want to just want to restate that we don't want it to happen to us well i keep 
like I said, I, I mean, I can speak on my behalf. I can't speak for Callie. I don't know how Callie personally feels about murder, but I know I don't support it. <laughs> I mean, do they deserve it? I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm anti-murder. I don't think it's cool. I don't think it's... I don't think it's hip. I'm here to make a stand. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, this movie... Yeah, the nuance of it is really interesting. Once I got over the fact that, like, oh, this isn't going to be about, like, tracking the clues and, like, oh, like, this killer. (laughs) Like, at the beginning when they're doing the autopsy and he's like, he trimmed her fingernails and he washed her hair. I was like, we're going to find a bunch of girls who have been groomed recently. Like, it just seemed... To, to take a different direction than I thought it was going to. But that's also, I've never seen a movie that did that before. So I I still liked it. Like, I thought that was good. And the entire journey that Pacino's psyche takes on this movie, I don't know if I've ever seen done before, which is a very Nolan thing, I guess. Even though he's stolen most of his shit from Michael Mann, I will say that the like psychological aspects of his films and the fact that you never really know what's going on and what is the truth, like I thought that, that was fascinating in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think like this is a more restrained take on, which is probably why it's it it works better because it's not because like I said, I think a lot of like a lot of Nolan's more recent stuff, he gets he has a tendency to kind of get self indulgent. And just like put too much into it <laughs> at least that's kind of how i feel about like interstellar and i've heard people say that about tenant but i haven't watched tenant yet um Me neither. i'm not allowed to watch it unless i watch it on the biggest screen possible in the theaters because that's what nolan says the only way you can watch that movie so you know unfortunately i never got around to watching it because of a little thing called covid <laughs> I, did you see that like there was somebody tweeted, um, they, they they put Tenet on their, like, old iPod classic, and they put a picture of it. It was, like, watching Tenet as it was meant to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, it is always kind of, like, stupid when directors say shit like that. I feel like James Cameron said that a few years ago. Like, oh, no, like, you have to see my movies, like, at at the movie theater that's the only way you can see it and like i'm obviously like a proponent of going to the movies like i work in a movie theater and like i love going to the movies but like the idea that like it's not even worth doing unless you can do it like in this like very specific way is is just kind of like stupid like don't you want people to see your art no matter what like like but but you know you're not taking you're not taking into consideration the medium in which I made the art for. So if you're not sitting in an IMAX theater with the maximum giant fucking screen to see like Robert Pattinson running on <laughs> running across down the street or whatever, you know, it's not worth watching. <laughs> you know what's like what's great? I I actually saw Interstellar at the IMAX at the Air and Space Museum in Washington D.C. with my friend Ted, who I met on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, really? That's fun. It was great. Like, I mean, I I really liked that movie, but I've only seen it once, and it was in the IMAX, so maybe it was just, like, 
Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I was I also taking a lot too. of NyQuil because I was like sick. It was like right after Christmas, so I was like, of course. Oh I yeah, was... that, that that seems like a fun movie to see on NyQuil. <laughs> no, like I don't like Interstellar. Like it was filmed well. I just thought the ending was kind of silly. With like, oh, it's like love is the real answer, and I'm like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> now I'm a little bitch. I fell for that. I was like, oh. The aliens were like, let me help you find... <laughs> 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 I, I don't know. I think I'm sentimental and go for that shit. And, and maybe that's kind of why I liked Inception, too. But, um... Yeah, I haven't seen Inception since high school. Like, all I can think of when I think of it now is, like, either the top or just... Oh my goodness. I used to do this thing when I first worked in a movie theater in high school. I worked in a Regal. And in trailers, we used, because in the, I think maybe just at that time, it was like a very big trend for trailers to like constantly like do these like black flashes where it would like, it would like show like, you know, for Inception, like, the trailer is, like, JGL, he's, like, running through that rotating hallway, and then it goes black, and then it's, like, you know, the van, like, going off the bridge, and then it's black, and then it's, like, it keeps doing these, like, cuts, and it, like, goes black, like, 40 times in the trailer. It's, like, insane, and, like, at the time, like, in, like, 2012 or whatever, every single trailer would do that, and it was, it almost, like, felt like, is this gonna set off people's epilepsy? like we were worried about it as like theater employees we were like because we had like regulars who had epilepsy and we were like oh shit because it has like that almost like strobe like effect but with the music especially the like boom like bass that you were talking about (laughs) it's like it's very jarring which i think is the point i guess to like have like film be like visceral or whatever but yeah, now, tra- now trailers have kind of moved away from that to more towards what random song can we slow down and have, like, a dramatic woman sing over it and put it in our trailers to make it, like, mean something. Like, I had a friend on Twitter who made a who made a parody, just, like, he was just, like, a, make it a, made a fake movie trailer, and he used, he used one of those covers, but it was Wonderwall, Oasis's Wonderwall, and it sounded horrible, and it was, like, it's like this slow down, like and after all, wonder. It's like all these strings, behind, like these like dark strings behind it. I'm like, oh my god, this is horrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it almost made me want to go back to the days of like Balm. <laughs> uh, I I looked up some like stuff about this movie that I thought was interesting. Um, Pacino's name is Dormer in this. Detective Dormer, and in Spanish and French, that means to sleep. So, kind of cute. No, Nolan's really, really think, thinking there. Put a little, <laughs> put a little spit on that. <laughs> oh, uh, this made this movie made Robin Williams fall off the wagon. It did really? Yeah. Oh, why did it make him fall off the wagon? Um, the isolation of filming was just, like, really difficult for him because they filmed, it was all shot in Canada, and so they were shooting in just, like, a really isolated place in Canada and British Columbia, and I think 
it was like one of his first times since being sober like being that isolated like during work and just like stress and stuff but i watched on youtube i watched robin williams tribute to pacino on the afi like you know a tribute to al pacino night or whatever and yeah he had been sober again by that point so i i never really like was familiar with robin williams sobriety and like his issues with it um until i watched this speech that he gave where he just made so many jokes about it and like about how he couldn't raise a glass because it would know eight months wasted and he seemed to have this like energy i guess it's all in like retrospect you know like yeah well, now I, that we know. I always knew he had a he was kind of like he was very open about his like substance abuse issues throughout his life and i knew he had like a a bad coke problem in the 80s i mean that makes stuff. a lot of sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah he uh, yeah he and he struggled with like depression and stuff all like all his life but he I always seemed like, like a very 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 good very nice person to be around like i don't think i, I don't think there's any like i have never heard anyone have a bad story about him like i've never like that like you know i've never seen like any like interviews with people where they like say oh the robin williams is an asshole or whatever you know, he seems like an actually like a very nice person <laughs> i was just talking with one of my coworkers about how robin williams seems like that kid in class who never seemed to know when it was like time to stop doing bits and that's how he like was throughout his life is that he just never knew how to like turn that part of himself off and like i feel like in this tribute video like I really got that sense but what's so interesting about that is that he never seemed yeah he never seemed to get on anybody's nerves with that like everybody that I've seen interact with him or talk about him was like very like fond of him and like indulgent in these bits like they'd be like oh Robin's doing his fucking voices again like <laughs> <laughs> like there's this really really cute interview that I, I posted on the Pacino Twitter of, you know, they're both doing some, like, press junket for insomnia. Like, Robin Williams is talking to a reporter, Pacino is talking to a reporter, and they're both telling the same anecdote about how they do a bit where Pacino is, like, Robin Williams' puppet, basically. Like, he's, like, speaking through Pacino, and then they do the bit together, and it's, like, so sweet and, like, cohesive. And then, like, the way that Pacino looks at him afterwards is, like, <laughs> full of love. <laughs> so no. it's, it's a, well, it's a very sweet way. That makes a lot of sense, though, because, you know, like, uh, you know, like, we've talked a lot about how Pacino got started, like, doing comedy stuff like that. So I'm sure he, like, enjoyed being able to, you know, indulge that side of himself with, with Robin Williams. And a lot of people don't know that, like, Robin Williams went to fucking Juilliard. Like, he was, like, a classically trained actor. And that's, I think that's why he, like, works well and so well in, like, serious roles like this and stuff is because he, like, you know, had some of the best training <laughs> that you could get in acting academically. <laughs> some comedians are, like, just so good at dramatic acting. Like, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he went to Juilliard. And I think, like, his acting even though it's like crazy and over the top because it's always sunny in philadelphia like he does some of the best performances on this like fucking sitcom than 
like, Army Hammer or whoever the fuck is, like, considered a dramatic actor, you know, in, like, mainstream movies and stuff. So it's, like, interesting how comedians will be kind of, like, cut down, like, oh, you, like, the, the medium of comedy is, like, lesser or something, when, like, usually, like, those actors can do both. I don't know. I'm not making, like, a new point about, like, oh, like, comedians can do both, but I think, like, no, it makes sense, though. It does make sense. Um, well, and Robin Williams was so good know. at that in particular. Like, Patch Adams, like, do you remember that movie where he, like, is, like, a doctor yeah. or, like, children's hospital? Yeah. Is it, is it I bad? I just remember the scene, um, the scene with uh, the grandma in the noodle bath. That's all I remember from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember much of it. I just remember that it was, like, kind of sad, too, you know? Yeah, he did, like, a string of those movies in the 90s that, like, dramatic, but, like, had comedic elements, like, because Robin, like, they were all these, like, heartwarming films, um, so, and, like, so this film was even a step away from those, those types of dramedy-type films, because there was no comedy in this movie, (laughs) he was nothing, there was nothing funny about his character, he was, like, creepy and scary and <laughs> you would not want to be around this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I watched an interview or it was like well, it was actually very interesting because it was like Christopher Nolan and Al Pacino just like sitting and talking together, but they're sitting like one foot apart and Pacino's legs are between Christopher Nolan's legs. Just something about the way they were, like, set up in this interview was very interesting to me, and the fact that they were, like, so chill being that close. I was like, huh, what's going on here, fellas? (laughs) But, like, they were just talking about different acting styles and where actors come from and where they get, like, their tricks and stuff. So, like, he obviously got his start in theater And he really likes to, like, rehearse a lot and, like, do a lot of takes. And, like, Pacino seems to be, like, the kind of person that needs a lot of time. Even though he got, like, fucking mad at Francis Ford Coppola about how many, like, takes he wanted to do or whatever. Um, Yeah. It seems that that's also probably why he got, like, such great performances out of him. Because, like, I think in later films, Pacino was like, no, I like to do that. Like, it's it's kind of funny. that he, like, resented it so much whenever that's what he had to do. But then, like, later it seems that that's, like, what he requested out of other directors. But Robin Williams, he, like, didn't like to rehearse as much, but he also liked to do a lot of takes, and they liked to do things, like, differently in each one. So it seems like they had a really, like, cool, creative dynamic between them while they were filming, and that might also be why they, like, gelled so well, because they were... They both seem like kind of like experimental. Yeah, that and that makes a lot of sense. It just gets, and also it almost makes you wish that they had done more films together, or at least like, yeah, because this is the only, this is the only film that they're both in. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in that AFI video, I could tell that they really like loved each other after the. I mean, he introduces the entire show like for the whole night. And, um, I think, like, Robin Williams really respected Al Pacino, too, so it is a shame that they didn't get to work together more. He was, like, in, in the, in the speech, he just talked about, like, how, 
famous so many of Pacino's lines are. And it's interesting, like, we brought this up, that, like, so many, like, phrases that I've used, I didn't even know were Pacino lines or movie lines. They're just, like, part of life. And you think that, like, oh, that's just the saying, but it's, like, from The Godfather. And uh, <laughs> I was watching The League this week because I just needed something that, like, I could turn my brain off and just have fun and watch, which, honestly, The League is pretty problematic, so it's hard to turn my brain off because I'm like, oh, no, and then I'm like, don't think about that, don't think about that, <laughs> but um, Jason Manzukis, who I adore, plays this character named Rafi in The League, who's just, like, fucking insane, and he starts yelling Gattaca in this scene he's like Gattaca Gattaca like Attica in Dog Day Afternoon but he's getting it mixed up with that fucking Ethan Hawke movie Gattaca that came out in the 90s (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was like a really brilliant joke and that 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 show is like mostly improvised so that's I don't know hopefully I am giving credit to Jason Manzikas where it's due but, uh, such a good joke for, cause like, yeah, it is a famous thing to yell Attica now, not only because of the riot, but mostly because like Pacino popularizing it. Yeah. So even if you don't know about right. the riot, you know about Dog Day Afternoon, you know about Pacino like throwing money into the crowd, but then to mix that up with like an obscure like sci-fi movie about like, that movie is about about eugenics eugenics yeah and i watched it in like biology class in high school (laughs) i just thought that was like a bro like a really great joke hillary swank in this movie what else oh yeah we haven't even talked about her yet yeah no i like i I thought she was really good in this i I liked her like puppy dog added like she's like a puppy dog following fucking al pacino around the whole movie (laughs) even even when she uh even when, even when she, like, figures out that he, like, shot his partner, she's like, I know you didn't do it. I know you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that, that she was, that her character was really cool. Like, they, they didn't, like, write her into any boxes or, like, make her, like, you know, like, just a girl officer or anything. Like, I thought that the dynamic was really cool. I mean, yeah, it's another kind of, like, Pacino mentor movie in a way because he's he's always giving her, like, little tidbits of, like, useful information, like, almost like, oh, write that down. I think, he, yeah, like, he makes he, that joke he even basically, like, he's the re- like, he even was like, hey, you know, like, when she, like, finishes the report and it's basically just, like, it, it would completely exonerate him if it, like, went through. And he was like, uh... No, you know what? You should look more into this. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it speaks more to his, like, character that he does, like, he is actually interested in, like, the truth. Because otherwise he would have just, like, been like, okay, yeah, sure, send that report in if he didn't actually care about her career. Because, you know, he's, he does seem to care about her, like, reputation and her career because he's like, you know, that's your name on that report. That will be, like if anything happens, it goes back to you. You are the one that gets fucked over. So make sure that everything that you sign your name to or whatever you attest to, you are 100% sure of because it's your reputation. 
Yeah, I thought. And I don't think he wants. He just doesn't want her to like fall into the same like pit holes that he fell into, basically. Right, of like thinking that you're doing honest police work while you're actually being shady as fuck, but you, but because it like fulfills this idea in your head, you know, you keep doing it. I thought that that yeah, that juxtaposition was like well done in this that like she's this young cop and she really looks up to him and so he doesn't want to let her down and that's like what i think makes the ending kind of sweet is that he just kind of like (laughs) dies in her arms Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not like they really build up, like, a huge relationship between them. Like, it's a very, like, professional relationship and stuff, but he still, like, doesn't want her to become like him and, like, uh, I don't know. I thought that that was something that isn't really, like, hasn't really been done in, like, any of the other, like, cop movies where there is like this kind of like shiny person that like could be corrupted like it's like always about the corruption that's like already happened but we don't always get this like Mm -hmm. sweet little person that's like well depending on how this movie goes this person might end up leaning a certain way oh well i guess now yeah keanu's already corrupted in the devil's advocate (laughs) it's too far yeah he's (laughs) too far gone nothing sweet about his character (laughs) an interesting thing robin williams doesn't appear until 61 minutes into the film yeah i forgot that he like how actually little he is like in the movie because he's so memorable you just think that like you just come away like remembering like most of his bit like parts in the film but um yeah i know he really is like only in half the film (laughs) (laughs) yeah we kind of like mentioned this already but another thing i wrote down was uh about how this is based off a norwegian film also called insomnia that came out in 1997 but i was reading about that and like this doesn't seem like this movie seems a lot better than the original just which which is funny because i like when i was taught i made a tweet about insomnia and somebody like commented like the original so much better so i i I don't I mean, know. <laughs> it, just, it sounds a lot more upsetting. Like, it sounds like, you know, the uh, the dead dog that he, like, shoots in this movie? Well, apparently it's not mm-hmm. dead to begin with in the Norwegian version. Oh. And, I, I don't know, yeah. it, it seems that, like, the Norwegian version, or the original, it just, like, took those few extra steps to be like, okay, this guy is really unhinged. He's, like, actually, like going down this spiral whereas I feel like or and I was reading that Pacino's character and the way the screenplay like takes this is more of like physical and mental spiral and it's more within oneself rather than like he's not really doing that many like dramatic things like out in public he's just not sleeping and he's getting all fucked up and like driving and like almost getting into accidents it's kind of like it's just not so volatile like towards other people like in the uh, in the norwegian version he like tries to rape the the hotel keeper who has been so nice to him you know oh whoa really yeah okay yeah that yeah 
Okay, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. So it's <laughs> like, we wouldn't like Pacino in that movie. Like, there's just no way, like, he, he would still be a likable character. Yeah. Whereas in this one, I feel like you kind of, like, always sort of feel for him, even though he's not... He's a very flawed character. Yeah, I think, like, the, the most fucked up thing he does to another person, besides literally murdering his partner, <laughs> was when he was uh, driving with her friend, and he just, like, swings, swerves into the other lane, and just, like, is, like, head-on with this truck. He's like, he'll move. He'll move out of the way. He'll move out. Like, he's just, like, right. playing chicken with the fucking semi-truck. And I think he was doing that to scare her, like, enough to when he takes her to the junkyard, she's, like tells them everything but it's also pretty fucked up to do that in general to just <laughs> and that's the only part that they seem to have kept from the original as far as his like volatile reckless behavior um besides shooting his partner of course um but in the yeah in the original he also like tries to like molest that girl it's like a lot more like sexual and weird and i don't know if that's just norway yeah who knows i, I think know. it's it's good that Christopher Nolan was like, let's just nix all that. <laughs> yeah, he's like, let's not make uh, Al Pacino a creepy little asshole. <laughs> well, I mean, then you just have a movie about two monsters, and it like I, I just don't yeah. think it would be as effective as like not having as interesting anyways. One character like who the... thinks he's really bad and <laughs> is possibly kind of okay. Yeah, I mean, like, you lose, I feel like you lose that internal conflict that Pacino, like, is, like, the hinges the entire movie is, is basically hinged on Pacino's internal conflict over, like, what he did, which, yeah, if he's going around fucking molesting women and stuff, then you definitely lose that. Yeah, it's not, not really a conflict anymore, you've just gone over to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> you've just given up. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the, uh, I'll stick with the American version, uh, if that's cool with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only other thing I wrote down was just that, um, I thought Pacino's body language was really good in this movie. He does a really good job of just seeming fucking exhausted. Then again, he just has really bad posture and he kind of always looks like that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh... <laughs> I like the scene where, like, when he can't sleep and he has, like, he puts the gum in his mouth and by the end of it it's, like, this giant wad of gum <laughs> in his mouth. <laughs> you know why he probably does that, Jane? Why? Because he's grinding his teeth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although I do think he mentions it to someone. I can't remember who he's talking to about where he's, like, yeah, I chew gum awake. to, like, to stay awake, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny because it's like, it, you don't need any help staying awake. You're in Alaska, <laughs> the sun never goes down, you're wrought with guilt, you're a police officer who's probably seen many, many horrible things, crime scene photos. Like, they just... Yeah, people have, you know, they have insomnia when when they think about fucked up things. <laughs> right, so... Yeah, I, again, it's just, like, funny that he acts like he needs anything to keep him awake when, like, uh, there's a whole litany of things that are obviously keeping him awake, whether or not he... Like, I'm sure even before his issues with his partner, he probably had issues sleeping. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just being where he is it makes it a thousand times worse. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, like, 
like a job like you know one of those jobs where you're like that would be cool but then in practice you're like I have an ulcer (laughs) yeah 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 I don't think I would want to do that (laughs) Jane you seem like you would be the like the cute goth girl who like works in the lab or whatever (laughs) oh yeah that they the quirky girl that they shove in all those CS, <laughs> in CIS shows where she's like, ah, oh, she's, she's different. Cause she's got a choker on. <laughs> she's good at computers. She knows code. <laughs> she wears black I lipstick. <laughs> I don't know code. No, I'm too much of a bimbo to be able to code. Unfortunately. <laughs> if you had told me that you could, I would have believed you though. Oh, well, I can't. (laughs) Sorry to let you down. (laughs) Did you have anything else to say about this one? Um, No, I wish I would have been able to find my essay, because that would have been funny to, like, throw up on, like, the Patreon when we started. (laughs) But I I couldn't find it, unfortunately. What if we just Um, post our old film school papers? Like, I'll, like, post that Beetlejuice essay that got, like, a C. I want to, yeah, I still want to read that. <laughs> um, yeah, what's next week? I didn't even see, I haven't, I haven't even looked to see what, uh, the we're, next We're taking it is. one day at a time here at Pacino Pod. <laughs> Simone. Oh, the, uh, computer film. Oh, yeah, I, um, yeah. I watched this when I was a kid, Evan Rachel Wood, a timely film, I guess. As well. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Why did we, oh, oh, yeah, that's that is timely. God damn it! God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, you know, and um, Pacino finally gets to work with Winona Ryder, which he's been trying to force her into things for how long? You know. Yeah, he did. I mean. He did. She was technically in Looking for Richard. That's true. <laughs> they had to have fucked, right? Oh, definitely seems like he wanted to. <laughs> What's? I think it's so funny that uh, me mixed with Pacino looks like Winona Ryder. It's like our child from the past. If I... <laughs> I invent a time machine, I go back and fuck with Pacino in 1972, then whenever Winona Ryder was born. Wait, what if she was born in 1972, the year I most wanted to fuck Pacino? Hold on. I was gonna say, I was like, did you know when she was born? (laughs) She was born in 1971! Ah, you're one year off. (laughs) Wait, when did the first Godfather come out? Uh, 73, I think. Um, the first one came out in 72. So I was, yeah. 72. <laughs> so she would have been one years old when that movie came out. You know, I mean, I, I would have fucked him as early as Panic and Needle Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was, uh, I'm curious, what was the very first uh, Al Pacino film that was released where you were alive? Uh, what came out in 1995? Heat? Yeah, Two Bits. No. Two Bits is the first Al Pacino film. But when in yep. 1995 did it come out? 
Oh, good point. Good point. What, what month were you born in? In June. It was uh, Two Bits, which came out in November of 95. Because <laughs> he came out in December of 95. <laughs> no, I don't so want it to be Two Bits. I'd rather it be he. <laughs> um, for me, it was Carlito's Way, I think. Yeah, That's a good one. I was born in February of 93. Carlito's Way came out in November of 93. So that was my first Pacino film. <laughs> That's a special one. And I got two bits. <laughs> like, I was born in, like, the year of the pig, I think. And all of my friends were born in <laughs> born in the year of the dog. And I was always like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, that's cute, though. Pigs are cute. Oh, cute piggy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm the year of the fucking rooster. The year of the cock. The cock. <laughs> <laughs> Write to us uh, your birthday, and we'll tell you which Pacino film came out closest to your birthday and what that means about your personality. Oh my god, yeah, that could be a patron perk right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Please uh, follow us at Pacino underscore pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Sadie Blue Bat. You can follow Callie at Callie Bud. And you can also find this on Spotify and Apple and uh, SoundCloud and give us five stars, leave a review, subscribe on whatever platform you listen to, tell all your friends, make a thousand Reddit threads about it, tweet about it, write your mother letters about our podcast. Um, I don't know if we're mom friendly. <laughs> write your fun aunt about us actually there you go, there you go. <laughs> your crazy aunt sheila she'll love us <laughs> all right keep it locked keep, keep it locked <laughs>